spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. If you've got your Bibles, please open up to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And you're really going to need your Bibles this morning because we're kicking it old school. Single song leader, no praise team. Uh, just a sermon and Bibles are devices that have a Bible on them. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, there's probably one in front of that uh, pew pocket and just in front of you there, or chair pocket, whatever you want to call it. Grab one and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And also Genesis chapter 6. We're going to have two places in that, and you can mark that with one of those cards that's in front of you as well. Genesis 6 is where we're going to be hanging out this morning, and also Hebrews chapter 11. The first week back from Ghana, which has been almost a month now, um, I shared with many of you that God put it on my heart to take one of these with me. Actually, I took four of them when we went to Ghana. How that happened was, I just simply said, God, I'm not much of a soccer player, um, and I don't know that I can connect that well with those who play soccer in Ghana, and that's a big sport there. But you know, in a school of about 300, when you get on a campus like that, not everybody's going to be able to be playing soccer. And sure enough, man, we got there, and the poor excuse of a ball that could be kicked in the world is what they were playing soccer with. Well, we had brought three of those soccer balls, three, uh, new soccer balls. We brought a pump, so that was going to help cover that. One for the boys, one for the girls, and one for the future. Um, but then I brought out these Frisbees, and I am telling you, as I joked with you uh, about a month ago, you'd have thought I'd brought out fire. Uh, they'd never seen a Frisbee before, had never thrown one of these Frisbees before, and uh, we had an absolute blast. To say that they had fun would be an understatement. They went nuts. Um, and it was just such a joy to be able to watch them enjoy something so simple that cost about a buck here in America. Um, four CDs there in Ghana. Brought such simple pleasure, and it was so cheap and so easy to get to them. Well, we had thrown Frisbees in circles. We had thrown Frisbees in groups. We threw Frisbees one-on-one. -on -one. But one day, Jeff and I decided to set up some targets to see if the kids could hit them. Went and got a couple of ice chests. We found an old basketball hoop that we turned up so they could possibly try to throw it through the circle there. And I mean, it was working flawless with the young kids. It was the very first batch that had come out for their, uh, their recreation time. And they were lined up, and they were throwing their Frisbees, having a great time, especially when they found out that when it went into the container or through the hoop, they got butterscotch candy. Oh, baby. That was amazing. And they were having the best time. And then we started to have a shift of groups, and some older kids came. And I am telling you, it went south quickly. Quickly. When they saw that there was candy involved, and all of a sudden the wheels started turning in those minds, and one kid figured out he could lie that he made it in the container and come tell me and get a candy. I was so busy getting Frisbees and handing them back to kids, I didn't see it. And so he came up to me and said, I made one in the container. And so I gave him a candy, and some kids were watching that, and I mean, it doesn't take long for that little virus to spread. Before I knew it, though, everybody was running up saying, I made it in the container, I made it through the hoop, and nobody had been making it in there except maybe one or two, you know. And then some kids who actually did make it through the hoop and into the containers, they were coming up, and so all of a sudden you had just pandemonium. And before I knew it, Frisbees didn't matter, containers didn't matter, everybody just wanted the candy. And I mean, just, it was pandemonium. 
people were hitting each other and uh, jumping on each other. It just went south fast. And so after a few moments of trying to, to bring order back to the chaos, finally Jeff and I just gathered up all the Frisbees and gathered up the candy and gathered up the, the coolers and the basketball hoop, and uh, the Frisbees went inside for the rest of the day. Not a single Frisbee flew over the skies of Bazooka Christian Academy for the rest of that day. And i got to be honest with you, how that made me feel well, the words you've heard before. I regretted that I ever had brought those discs to Ghana at all. And maybe you've been there too. Have you ever started a project and it had such an incredible beginning? It was progressing just as you had hoped, and then for whatever reason, it just went south. Maybe from, from something that you had thought, well, that could happen. Maybe something that happened that you never could have envisioned. But all of a sudden, you've got an absolute mess on your hands. And the best thing you can do is just scratch it, trash it, and put it out of its misery, at least for the moment. I know if you're a creator of any kind, if you're an artisan in any form or fashion, you've experienced that. Whether you're a painter, seamstress, potter, whether you're right, preacher, cook, whether you crochet, whether you make furniture, whether you make Lego structures or sandcastles, whatever your creative medium, sometimes when it seems like the project all of a sudden develops a life of its own, or really it's almost like a death of its own, the best solution is to put an end to what's become the worst of outcomes and just start over. If you know what that feels like and the regret that comes with it and the remorse that comes with it because of the waste of time and resources and energy and how intense all of that can be, then you have an idea of what God was feeling when these words are penned in Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil at this time. Some of the saddest words in scripture follow. The Lord regretted he had made human beings at all. His heart was deeply troubled. And so the Lord said, I'm going to wipe away from the face of the earth all of the human race that I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret ever having made them. You know, if you're on a deserted island, and you're reading the story of stories here, and all you have is Genesis 1, 1 through Genesis about 6, 7, I doubt if you ever pick up this story Again. I mean, think about it. Genesis 1 through 2, an amazing God creates an amazing world and places and creatures that bear his image to take care of it and protect it. And in less than five chapters, five, these free will, choice making creations called human beings now decide they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whomever they want, to the point that the Creator wants to take and Etch-a-sketch everything and just shake it and start over. Now nah, I wouldn't want to read that story again. But that's not where the story ends. 
As a matter of fact, it's just getting started with one of the most major themes of the book, and here's that theme. That the faithfulness of one will be the means of salvation for the many. Now, those of you who spent much time in this story at all, you know that's a major theme. The faithfulness of one becomes the salvation of many. We know it's true because the next hope-filled words come in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. And if you've got your Bibles, read these. They're attached to a fellow whose name actually means comfort. They're attached to a, a fellow whose name in 2015 was the name more parents gave their kids than any other name in America. A fellow whose name headlines the top five of all children's stories that come from the Bible. You know him as Noah. A fellow listed among the faces of the faithful that we're studying in our series this summer. And the name that is attached to ten of the most hope-filled words in all of the Bible. They come in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Out of all that despair and out of all that heartache for this creation that's just absolutely gone as south as it can be and whose every thought is evil and he's just ready to just shake the etch-a-sketch and start completely over, God says, wait a minute, but there's Noah. And I really like this guy a lot. Verse 13. Now I am going to put an end to all the people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them, and I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And so, Noah, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 350 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Noah, make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all the way around. Put a door on the side of the ark. Make lower and middle and upper decks. Because I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath or life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And you are to bring into that ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. And you're to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for them. And Noah did everything that the Lord asked him to do. Now, the Bible tells us God is determining here, well, we're not going to scrape the whole thing, but 99.9% of it. But it's really not just a rescue message. It's a redemption message, mission. It's an it overhauling mission. It's a, uh, let's a remake this thing mission. And friend, if like Noah, there's something in your little world that you walked into this room with today, that I mean is, has got ugly and darkness on it, almost of the biblical proportions we're talking about today. And there's something that you're hoping with all of your heart that God could breathe life into, that he could remake and, and renew. Man, you're in the right place. And you're hearing, I think, the best word from God that he could have for you this morning. 
And before we go a step further, I just need for you to pray with this preacher to help make sure it gets delivered, all right? Father, we come to you this morning, and wow, it's been a challenging day already in so many ways. I know our family's not the only one who has uh, struggled with just little minor darts, uh, just even in getting here. All around this room, Father, there may be just little bitty fires that are burning right now in relationships, little bitty fires that are burning in guilt, little bitty fires that are burning in um, shame, fear. And Father, we're asking you to come with the living water that comes only through the power of your spirit and help put out those fires and to help renew with living water in us what once was a... um, disastrous word for some people a long time ago. Father, we realize we're not the only ones this morning who have uh, struggles and difficulties that definitely need a touch from you and your spirit. We want to lift up the Maranatha Christian Center and their minister. Please, Father, continue to knit our hearts together in this community so that we can work together as one body to lift up your incredible name. We are here to hear from you. Please, God, Forgive the sins of the speaker, for they are many, so that that word can be heard. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said. It was hard to come home, especially when one of the first pieces of news that greeted us from our trip from Ghana was the horrific shooting death of over 50 people in an Orlando nightclub. Since then, the suicide bombings of a Baghdad marketplace have killed over 250 and left hundreds injured. The bombing of an airport in Brussels with 20 dead and again hundreds injured. The shootings of Dallas police officers just last week, many injured. And now this week, the terrorist attack on Nice, killing close to 90 people and again hundreds of people injured. I don't know if you felt it, but in the last few months, it's just felt ugly here. In the last few years, man's evil thoughts and intentions have made themselves known in death and destruction in the workplace, the marketplace, sites of major sporting events, airports, embassies, churches, mosques, schools, homes, and with the invention of drones, who in the world knows where safe is? I don't know if these are the last days that the Bible warns of because there have been many times in history when you can read back through the analogs and the pages of all the evil that was breaking loose where people could have thought this has to be the last days. But I do know what Scripture says about the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to the parents. Paul goes on to continue to list ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Not lovers of the good, but treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness in its churches, but denying its power. That's Paul's letter. (laughs) Warning Timothy, this is what you're to look for whenever the end's coming. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. And someone says, well, won't those days be marked by some really extreme weirdness like, you know, uh, the sky turning green and the moon turning purple and spaceships landing? Well, let me tell you what Jesus says. 
In Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 and 38, he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were just eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, but up to the, all up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And Jesus ends by saying, that is how it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. I really don't know how much advance warning we're going to get. But the closer and the closer that we get to it, and the book of Revelation tends to underscore this in a major way, it seems like those bowls of wrath and the bowls of ugliness are going to be severe, sinister, and just deadly. It's going to be like the days of Noah, Jesus says. Marked by an obvious darkness and an unexpected suddenness, the Son of Man will come. But, the Bible parallels more than just how the end's going to come and what it might look like. It also parallels the rescue that God's offering both then and now. See if you recognize these parallels. Six of them. A message of judgment was preached then and it is now. People didn't listen then and they refused to listen today. Noah was sent to save the faithful and Christ will return to do the same. A flood destroyed the earth then and fire will destroy the earth when Jesus comes. Noah built a safe place out of wood called an ark. Jesus made a safe place from wood called a cross. Those who believed hid themselves in a boat, and those who believe now hide themselves in Christ. Lots of parallels to what happened to Noah and what's happening now. Now, many of you already know those truths. Many of you go, yep, I recognize that parallel. Yep, that's the basis of my faith. I don't know about you, but when times get dark like this and ugly like this, I need more than a basis to my faith. I need greater faith. I do. It starts to work on my courage. It starts to work on my belief. It starts to work on my hope. And I don't know what you do when you, when you get weak in a certain area of your life, but I like to hang out with people in those times that are stronger in me in those particular weak areas of my life. When I'm not shooting, shooting golf very well, I don't play with Greg. I play with Seebeck. Uh, That's who I play with. I want to hang out with somebody who can really play well. Now, I hang out with Greg when I just want to have some fun. Seabeck's serious. You better be serious when you go play golf with Seabeck. But that's what I do. I like to hang out with folks. Sometimes Ronnie knew. He could kind of fit in there depending on what day he's playing. If I want to get better in shooting, then I go hang out with Braden Cummings. Man, the kid can flat do it. And he's getting ready to go to some contests this week and could use some prayer. Man, I, I try to hang out with folks who are stronger than me in all kinds of ways that I feel like I need to be stronger in. One of the guys back in Ruidoso that I used to do that with was a guy by the name of Dennis Moore. Just going to walk with Dennis Moore in the morning just strengthened me. He was the Frank Greer of Ruidoso. You know what I'm talking about? Just hanging with Frank at Denny's for an hour. <gasps> Bring on the devil, baby! He just filled you up. He just made you stronger. Well, I've been hanging out with Noah this week. And i got to tell you, I feel a lot stronger coming to preach to you today than I did starting on the message Monday. What a guy. What an incredible man of faith. 
One of the first things that the narrator of Genesis says in chapter 6 and verse 9 is this. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, which for me translates into integrity. When was the last time you hung around a woman or a man of, of true integrity? Isn't it just good to be in the space with them? In Noah's day, you didn't have to worry about a business deal that you happened to be in with Noah. No, nah, that was going to be on the up and up for sure. You didn't have to worry about your wife talking to Noah. You didn't have to worry about your kids sleeping over at Noah's house. You didn't have to worry about when you left a meeting whether Noah was going to knife you in the back or not. You, you just knew he was a man of wisdom. You knew his friendship was a prize. He was just a great man in the midst of a world that was anything but. As if that wasn't enough said for Noah's life, the next thing that the narrator says about Noah is this, he walked with God. I don't know what's going to be said at my funeral, but I sure hope those words could be said. And I'm working on it. Wouldn't you want that said about you of all things that could be said? The man, the woman walked with God. Didn't just admire God. Didn't just study God. Didn't just sing God. Didn't just hang out with people of God. No, this man walked with him. Had a relationship with him. It wasn't just a, a duty. It was a delight. And it was just all over the man. That's what the scripture says about Noah. Nothing is said of his great mind. Interesting. That's brought up in other men's lives in other parts of the Bible. Nothing said of his great wealth or his bank account. Nothing said of his great looks. That's brought up about other leaders in the scripture. Nothing said about his great strength. That's brought up in other. No, what's brought up about Noah is this. His great relationship with the Father. Now, I may not ever be known as a man like that, but I benefit greatly by hanging out with men like that. And I have this week. Hmm. I wish I could have been there not long after God gives him his assignment of building the ark. Can you imagine a conversation going on at the ark project and a passerby comes by and Noah's there on the big rock and he's got his plans all laid out. Hey, Noah, what you working on? There's my plans for an ark. Ark. Okay, what's an ark? Big boat. Really big. 450 feet long. 75 feet wide. 45 feet high. It's going to have three levels on it. One door. Guy says, wow, that's big. Uh, what's it for? Well, all these animals are coming. Two of every kind on the planet are going to come and, and they're going to live with me on the ark. Really? Yeah. How long? Well, there's this flood that's coming. What's a flood? Well, I'm not sure. Um, it starts with a bunch of rain that falls, and then it just kind of builds up. And What's rain? See, in Noah's day, <laughs> thank you. I needed some help this morning there. <laughs> Love that. In Noah's day, it had never rained. It was just mist that had been on the ground that watered and, and provided what the, the people needed to drink and plants needed for their nourishment. But it had never rained before. Noah hadn't, he didn't know what an ark is. He's about 400, uh, 400 miles from any body of, of water that could float a boat this size. Everything that God is asking him to do is by faith. Believing that what doesn't exist can exist just simply because my father says it can. 
so there's floods going to come, raise the boat up, you get on it. What's going to happen with the rest of us? You die. Really? And you heard all this from God? I'm afraid so. Is there any hope? Oh, yeah. He's a God who loves righteousness. He, he loves that I walk with him, and I'm sure he'll love it that you walk with him. So why don't you come be a part of us? Peter says he, he preached righteousness all the way up into the very last closing of the door. God loves for you to be right with him. So come on. Ah, you've been sitting in the sun way too long, my friend. Either that or be nip a little bit too much of that flask of yours, all right? Have a nice day. It wasn't a flask that was responsible. Here's what the Bible says is responsible. The reason why this man is building an ark, going to put his whole family on it, believing that there's going to come this stuff called rain and, and enough of it that it'll cause a flood and destroy everything. Unto living creatures and humans are on the face of there's one thing that causes that, and the Bible says it's faith. It's faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heirs of righteousness, thus keeping with faith. Two things I want to leave you with this morning. The lesson's yours. The first comes from this incredible faith of a man that could build anything for 120 years. But this man did. I, I just can't fathom that. The time frame that's a part of this man's life about acting on something he has never seen or understood, but trusting that the one who's sharing it with him knows exactly how to pull this off. 120 years building the ark. Seven days locked up inside the ark. 40 days it rained so much that it finally did flood the earth. 150 days before the water begins to top out over the mountaintops. Another couple of months locked up inside with all those animals and family after all this death has occurred. And this man still is believing, still trusting, still hoping that, that this God who, who's brought all of this disaster can renew and restore and remake. And then finally the day comes when Abraham walks out of the ark. And the very first thing he does, recorded in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20, is he says this. He builds an altar. And he offers sacrifices of praise to say, God, thank you. Two things I want you to take away. Here's the first. With a man with that kind of faith and a man of that kind of integrity came some serious persecution. And if you want to be a part of those who whom God delights in, whom God is pleased with. This book of Hebrews 11 that we're studying says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. If you walk in this faith, if you are a person who believes that what doesn't exist can't exist because God exists and that he's the one who's responsible for every good thing in my life, if you live a life like that, persecution's coming. Persecution's coming. 
Just as Abraham's faith established him as a member of God's holy family, so will yours. But please mark my words. Membership of this royal godly plan is going to mean not so much applause as it is anger. The closer and closer we get to the actual return of the Lord. Jesus says as much. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Please hear me. If you choose to swim upstream in this downstream culture of ours, your values are going to clash with their values of sexuality and definition of marriage and who's in charge of ending a life and all kinds of things around you. And the attention of those that you're going to get from this culture, some of it's not going to be welcome. And maybe the closer that we get to Christ's return, most of it's not going to be welcome at all. Those values will not be seen as an act of curiosity or actions of curiosity, but acts of treason. It's a strong word, so let me explain what I mean by that. It's always been this case. We're going to see in a few weeks Rahab commits treason against her culture as she saw the people of God surrounding her city and she had to go against the flow and commit treason to save her and her families, which she hit the spies. Daniel did something similar. All he had to do was go to his closet and he could have prayed all day to his God of Israel, but instead he chose to pray at the window and commit treason. Hosea has a conversation with God. And God's request is much stranger than any building of an ark that he asked of. Bless his heart, Noah. The one who I hurt for is Hosea's mom. She would have been thrilled with the ark assignment. God comes to Hosea and says, I want to illustrate the faithlessness of my people. How fickle they seem to be. So go, Hosea, and marry you a prostitute. Do you think Hosea's mom was happy about helping with the flowers for that wedding? Do you think she was singing or humming under her breath, how great is our God, as she wrote out the invitations for herself? I doubt it. Do you think anyone in his home congregation told him, that's a great idea, Hosea? No. The truth is sometimes even amongst your own faith family, you may have to go against the religious culture to listen to the call of God in your life. But... I can't encourage you. Build the ark anyway. Commit treason anyway. Do you think they made jokes about Noah down at the local tavern? <laughs> sure they did. Do you think it was tough for Noah's boys to get dates? <laughs> With dad building that ark thing out there in the wilderness for everybody to see. Sure it was. You build the ark anyway. Because the persecution is going to come anyway. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 says, in fact, everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ is going to be persecuted. One of the things that, that will let you know that you are indeed walking in faith as this man of God Noah walked in faith is that you're persecuted like he was persecuted. Nowhere is Jesus saying, go looking for a fuss, no, sir. But do not be surprised when that fuss finds you, okay? Don't let it rob you of your faith when it's leveled against you. You build the ark anyway. You build the ark called purity, all right? That many of you have already committed to. It is an odd boat in this world that we live in. 
But you've decided, I am not going to let my body be a commodity to be passed around and used. You've made the decision to keep yourself for your husband and your wife sexually and hoping that, that all the other opposite sexes out there are doing the same for your future husband or wife. I can tell you God has a blessing for you and your future if that's the arc that you're on for the moment. And it's a blessing you may not be able to see now. But it's coming. Tell the truth. That's an arc of its own in this culture, isn't it? And it looks like a future, if you tell the truth, that only God can pull off. Because so much of what we live in is a lie. It's just a lie. If people are breathing, it seems like they're lying to you. Are we really hearing the truth here? And if that describes you, listen to me. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's iffy, it's risky to walk in the truth, but, but walk, all right? And see what it's like to truly live in the light. You go ahead and walk, build the boat of, the, of truth. Number three, go ahead and build the ark of momentary scorn, parents. <laughs> it's a tough one to build, but go ahead and build it anyways, all right? When there are, are places to sleep over that your kids really don't need to be at. When there's things that they're wearing they really shouldn't be wearing. When there's parties that they want to attend they really shouldn't be attending. You, you build the arc of, of momentary scorn, all right? Knowing that, that you may not be your kid's best friend at the moment. But one day, because of your faith in God and His goodness, they will like you again, all right? That takes faith. Build that boat anyways. And they will thank you later, I promise you, for your consistency. Number four, teenagers, you build the ark of obedience. Build the ark of obedience to your parents, believing that through your parents, God is setting parameters that you best can live by. That respecting them actually is respecting him, and he notices. Oh, he notices. That's why he includes it as a part of his commandments, to obey your parents, because there will come a blessing that comes with that. Number five, board the ark of a covenant of marriage, all right? You wouldn't think you'd have to preach that in a church, but it has to be preached, especially in the church. You board the ark of a covenant of marriage, not a marriage of convenience, but a covenant of marriage. Holding on to your vows for better or for worse, believing that a covenant love is the only kind of love that gets you through the war zone in this world. And that giving up and handling this like the rest of the world is not an option. Stay on the ark of accountability. Whether it's through AA or Discovery Group or Band of Brothers or Band of Sisters. If you're struggling with something that has you in its bondage, friend, you find your way into a group of folks that will hold you accountable to walking in purity and faith and integrity with Christ. You may not ever think you can break free from the alcohol or the porn or the overeating, but by faith, listen to me, God can but not alone. And then last but not least, for all of us who are waiting on the Lord's return, and I hope that describes every person here, stay on the ark of perseverance. <laughs> I love the fact that Noah said yes to this strange construction project out in the wilderness, and he went and cut the very first board. But you know what I'm proudest of, of Noah for the most? When he went a hundred years later and cut the 10,000th tree down and cut the 50,000th board and laid it up there in faith, believing that what didn't exist is going to exist because my father said it will. And that's not easy.
John chapter 3 and verse 26. Actually, John 3 and verse 36. He underscores the second thing I want you to take home. Yes, persecution is coming. Don't let that destroy your faith. But number two, know this also. Judgment is coming. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, Jesus promises. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. I know that judgment isn't a very popular topic to be talked about much. But especially as these days get darker, I think it has to be. Hear the word of the Lord again. Whoever believes, rests his life on, trusts in the Son, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. There's a popular sentiment that's becoming even more popular among some preachers today, and that is that love wins and everybody's in. One of my most respected authors wrote a book that says just that. Love wins and everybody's in. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says everybody's invited, but not everybody's in. If you reject the invitation, then you bear the wrath. That's a part of your sin nature. Can I remind you that the Bible teaches Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There was one door on the ark, and there's one door on this ark of this covenant. And it's Jesus Christ. The good news is you get to choose. I know it's frustrating. You get to choose your hair color or your eye color or your metabolism rate or your height or, or your parents or the country you lived in. But God leaves the most significant choice you'll ever make in this world up to you, and it's this. Will you believe me? Will you trust in me with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength? I promise you, if you will, you will be saved. And I will come to bring you home with me and no eye is seen, and no ear is heard, and no mind is conceived what God has prepared for those who are in love with him and whose faith is in him. I love that I don't have to make any of that stuff up. I just get to talk to you about it and remind you of it. Well, what happened to the Frisbees? <laughs> they came back out the next day. And there wasn't any more fights. And there wasn't any more pushing and there wasn't any more shoving ever. All because there was judgment and the Frisbees were removed. Now you know I'm telling a story about that, right? It was a little bit less for about five minutes. But we had to continually work at managing that sin nature that was in those 300 little kids. And the sin nature that was in the one who brought the Frisbee to those little kids that wanted to wring their necks. The Frisbees came out because grace is real. Did it fix the sin nature? No way in the world. Threat of punishment's not going to fix the sin nature. Threat of heaven, pleasure, 
isn't going to fix the sin nature. There's only one thing that fixes sin nature, and that's salvation by grace through faith, period. And so I'm inviting this morning. I know it's a weird ark, but so is Noah's. Come hide yourself in Christ back here. God gave us something very, very physical, like he gave Noah something very physical to do. When he believed God, there was that inside part of it, and then there was that outside behavior that was expressed in saying, sure, I'll do whatever you ask me to. Well, God says, well, let's start here. When you're you're ready to say I'm in, let's go put you in, cover you up, and let you experience the only death in your life that's going to have any significance whatsoever. And then I will raise you up in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, forgiving every sin that you've ever had and ever will have and filling you with my spirit so that you can do what I've asked you to do. I know it sounds like an ark sometimes, but I'll invite you to come get on the ark this morning if you've never done that and make Jesus Christ your Lord. And if this morning, maybe, just maybe, you came in here with something that um, it's just been just been squeezing the life out of you. Would you let some brothers and sisters of yours that's on the ark wrap their arms around you and take that struggle to the Father right now? It's the last thing Satan wants to have happen. (laughs) But it's the thing that God would like to have happen. And I know it's a little arky, you know, going and finding someone and saying, hey, I'm struggling with something, but, but you take that step of faith and see what God does all right. I promise you, the more that you see our church responding in these times like this, the more you're going to see us standing for him in this difficult, dark world. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We give you this message, and we ask you to take it through the power of the Holy Spirit, mold it and shape it in our lives just for what we needed this morning. And if you've taken away some Frisbees today from some folks because of a disciplinary action, Father, we, I pray that that season's short-lived and that they get them back, whatever they are, whether it be a job, whether it be some pleasure in their life, whether it be a relationship, whether it be um, something that they've just been dreaming of, but it's been removed. You say that you discipline those that you love. But, Father, what we want more than anything else is that you, you fill us with your spirit. Pleasure is good. Discipline can help a little. But we need you. And when we die, we want people to say, if there's one thing about those so-and-so, they, they walked with God. You could see the Spirit in them every time that you were with them. So, Father, I ask you to move among us now as we sing the song of invitation. And please, bring anybody to whatever ark they need to step on this morning as we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's stand and let's sing, church.